Andrew Cuomo talks about the state of the city, the state of the state, and a nation in crisis. You really get to see people and get to see character when things get hard. And when the pressure is on is when you really get to see true colors and see what they're made of. And you see the best and the worst of humanity. A nation in crisis. Now, here's Andrew Cuomo. Well, we have special pro- programming tonight. Uh, this is John Katsimatidis. And uh, my uh, opinion, everybody has the right to, to speak their mind. And our special guest tonight is Governor Andrew Cuomo. And uh, he's going to speak his mind. We're in crisis mode in our city, our state, our country. And uh, we need leadership. And he, Andrew Cuomo, Governor Cuomo, has always been a leader. And uh, Governor Cuomo, what say you? Well, first, John, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I've been uh, in government, federal government, state government, city government. And uh, these are probably the uh, most difficult times that I've seen. And, John, what worries me is not the problems, because we, we can solve problems. We have solved problems. It's the dysfunction that we're seeing in our political system now. It's that government just isn't working. People just aren't coming together. We're not compromising. We're not getting things done. Uh, and that's, that's what uh, frightens me most. But thank you, John, for having me here today. Thank you for an open dialogue. Uh, that's the only way we're going to get things going. Thank you to WABC uh, and for the public service that you provide with uh, honest talk to people. And uh, we're here to provide honest talk. And, you know, uh, the joke that we tell at 5 o'clock, my 5 o'clock show, is truth, justice, and the American way. And we're uh, lacking leadership in our country right now. Uh, and uh, we need people to be able to stand up and say, we want our city, our state, our country to go in the right direction. Uh, we want our citizens to 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 be walk around and safe and you know, we're both in Manhattan right now. Uh, I would not allow my kids uh, in the subways necessarily right now. I, I, and if we want to walk to a restaurant, we want to be able to walk to a restaurant without fearing that somebody's going to hit us over the back of the head. And uh, what I've said to uh, uh, leadership in Albany, I said, I, I don't care about the person that steals a loaf of bread. That You know, that's fine. You know, if they're hungry and they steal a loaf of bread, fine. But the police commissioner uh, has said, and uh, Mayor Adams has said, that uh, there was 2,000 or 2,500 or 3,000 violent criminals. For whom do the bells toll? The 20 million Americans that pay taxes in New York City, New York State, or the 3,000 violent criminals? And nobody can understand why the support of the 3,000 violent criminals. Yeah. No, John, it's not. We have an urban crisis in this country. I used to be the uh, secretary for housing and urban development under President Clinton. Uh, So that's what I did. I worked with cities all across the nation. And uh, it's much, much worse now than it's ever been. And it's not just New York City. It's Los Angeles. It's Chicago. It is the big cities. And it tends to be uh, uh, typical across the cities. Homelessness has just exploded. Uh, and it's really out of control, and it serves no one, by the way. It's just government and politics run amok uh, where you, where you, you don't even have the uh, ability to offer humanitarian aid to people. 
uh, and crime. And uh, I'm a Democrat. I'll be the first to say that the Democratic Party has turned a blind eye in many ways to the issue of crime, uh, much to the disservice of not only the Democratic Party, but of the cities they serve, the states they serve, and the country. Uh, I don't know why uh, this, but this is a Democratic Party that at times listens to an irrational wing. You know, we're in New York, John. Uh, Ed Koch, old mayor of New York City, God rest his soul, used to say he was a sane liberal. My father, former governor of New York, God rest his soul, used to say he was a pragmatic progressive. Sane liberal suggests some liberals weren't sane, right? Uh, Pragmatic progressive, pragmatic means sensible, reasonable, meaning some progressives weren't sensible and weren't reasonable. Uh, So that tension in the Democratic Party has been there before. There were liberals who Ed Koch thought were not sane. There were progressives who Mario Cuomo thought were not reasonable. And their voice is too loud in the party. And the problem is, uh, Governor, is that the common sense Democrats, and there are many common sense Democrats, don't have the courage to say enough is enough. They you are, know, 484,000 New Yorkers have left in the last 24 months. The, John, when does this, the bleeding stop? John, they're intimidated. The moderates, the common sense Democrats are intimidated by the far left. But by the way, a lot of moderate common sense Republicans are intimidated by the far right. Our problem is not Democrats and Republicans. Uh, I had a Republican Senate in this state for many, many years. We worked and got many things done uh, together. Uh, controversial issues. We passed marriage equality uh, together, first state in the nation with a Republican Senate, you know. But reasonable people can arrive at a reasonable solution. You have unreasonable. Uh, You have zealots on the left. You have zealots on the right. On the right, you have 15 votes that McCarthy couldn't get in the House, right? So these aren't Republicans. These are conservatives who Conservatives can't even get to agree to something. That's the real problem. The extremes, the polarization. Uh, And they are loud and they frighten the moderates because even though they are the minority, they are afraid of them in the primary elections. Don't kid yourself. These extremists, these activists in a primary are powerful on the left and the right. And that's why the moderates are intimidated. Extremism in any direction is not good for our country. And I use this example many, many times. Newt Gingrich and uh, Bill Clinton didn't necessarily like each other. The deficit was $5.5 trillion. But they worked together as Americans, both of them. And they took the the deficit from $5.5 trillion down to $5 trillion, which is... I've never heard of anybody reducing the deficit. And, uh, and I believe that common-sense Democrats and common-sense Republicans, and now uh, common-sense independents, they all have to work together for what's good for New York, what's good for uh, America. 
100%. Look, reasonable people. I I used to say, uh, just just give me reasonable assembly people and reasonable senators. Uh, That's all I need. As long as people are reasonable, John, you can have a reasonable conversation, come to a reasonable end. What we are facing, and an interesting question for the history books will be, which came first, the disruption in society or the disruption in the political class, meaning is the is the unreasonableness of the politicians reflective of the zealotry of society or vice versa? It's a chicken and an egg. Which came first? But as long as people are reasonable and what's happening to us in Washington, what's happening to us in state legislatures across this country, city councils across this country, they're not being reasonable. There's not a reasonable exchange of ideas and people who are willing to compromise in good faith. And the polarization is paralyzing us. And when you're paralyzed, then you can solve nothing. Look, we have, we're in this city. We've seen everything in this city. We've seen it go up. We've seen it go down. We can deal with any problem. We can solve problems. We know we can solve problems. We brought this city back from the brink a number of times. 1977, 1987, 1989, 1997, 98, 2008. Yes. Uh, it was on the brink. Uh, we saw a movie the other day where New York uh, City, New York State was on the brink and a uh, Republican uh, mayor, uh, Rudolph Giuliani, and a Democratic uh, speaker of a city council, they work together to bring the city back. Yes. And, uh, you know, I had tears in my eyes when I was watching that movie, which is now available on Amazon Prime. And uh, the name of the movie was Gotham, uh, Bringing Our City uh, Back. And um, we need something right now. Well, you're right. And, and look, the difference is, so we can solve the problems if we are talking, if we are reasonable. You take New York City, and again, emblematic of many cities across the country, there are two issues. It's crime and it's taxes. Everything else comes second. Uh, you know, sometimes it's simple. You have to admit the crime problem because you'll never solve a problem in life you're unwilling to admit. We have a real problem with crime. The politicians want to argue statistics. Democrats say, well, statistically, forget statistics. You can't tell a New Yorker who's walking down the street who feels afraid. You're wrong to feel afraid. People are afraid in this city. Fear is driving the bus. Yes. So it's crime and then it's taxes. You know, uh, it's easy to say tax the millionaires. You know, if you do a poll uh, for the Democrats, the number one idea is always tax the millionaires. Why? Because people aren't millionaires. So tax the millionaires sounds fine, right? Uh, let somebody else pay. They're millionaires. They have money. Yeah, but uh, I, I get the the idea. In practicality, in reality, if you price the product too high, John, they'll go and buy the product somewhere else. Well, they'll leave New York. 484,000 New Yorkers in the last 24 months have left. Uh, Tennessee is the destination, North Carolina, Florida, Texas, 
a half a million uh, people have left from uh, California. Yes. And uh, one of the problems is our big cities seem to be out of control. I mean, we live here in New York, and we want New York fixed first. But there's so many big problems, so many big cities in our uh, nation. Well, you want to pay, you want me to pay a lot of money to live in a city. You want me to deal with the problems of the city. And then on top of that, I have to deal with fear of crime, homelessness, and dangerous homelessness, mentally ill people who are homeless, who also generate fear. Uh, The city seems unclean. It seems chaotic. It seems out of control. And I don't feel at ease. And then aggravating that, and this is what I'm really afraid of, COVID changes life. COVID says you don't have to show up at the, t- at the desk every us, morning. That put us into a gym. Yes. Let's take a break for a few minutes uh, to pay the bills. And uh, we'll, we'll come right back. And uh, we can even take some phone calls if you like. Love to. Let's take that break. In this fast-paced world, not everyone has 30 minutes to listen to an entire podcast. So we created the 77 WABC minicast. It's topical, it's informative, and entertaining. And it's only 10 minutes. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The 77 WABC minicast. The facts you need in only 10 New York minutes. Andrew Cuomo talks about the state of the city, the state of a state, and a nation in crisis. Now, here's Andrew Cuomo on 77 WABC. This is John Katsimatidis. We're back, and uh, we have uh, calls coming in from all over the country right now. You know, with 50,000 watts clear channel, we're probably in 36 or 38 states, including northern Canada and, and northern Europe. And, uh, Governor, would you like to take some calls from around the country? Let's do it, John. I think the first call we have is from Jen. Hi, Governor. Hi, John. Thanks for taking my call. It uh, it really pains me as a New Yorker to see what is happening in the state or really what's not happening. Elected officials are not making any progress in addressing rising crime. There have been increased incidents of anti-Semitism, as you know. The subways are a complete disaster. There's homeless everywhere. Infrastructure projects are stalled. We're back to buses to LaGuardia. And then on top of all of that, Governor Hochul is nowhere to be found on the migrant crisis, basically leaving Mayor Adams to deal with it completely on his own. Governor, you were taken down and removed from office, and we now have a governor in name only, but no one is truly leading the state. So my question is, given the terrible state of crisis that we are in, would you ever consider running again to lead the people of New York? Okay, let's take uh, one thing at a time. Thank you very much, Jen, for the question. Uh, first, let's talk about what you the you had a list there of uh, issues, uh, Jen. Let's just uh, let's just touch a couple of them. All right. The first two, I agree with you that the state is at a precarious point. The city is at a precarious point. A lot of this is post COVID, right? Where you see a realignment based on economics. Uh, people are shopping. I can shop where I live now. I don't have to be in an office. I can r- work remote. I can work uh, one week a month at a desk. So people have more mobility. 
that means I can shop climates. I can go live in a warmer state or I can go work in a state that pays uh, where I pay less taxes. So uh, this is a precarious period. First issue is crime. The Democrats have, uh, I think, uh, irrationally denied the problem. They paid the price politically. Uh, and I think they are now getting it. I think President Biden is now getting it. That's why he took the action in Washington, D.C. that he did. Uh, but uh, I think Washington, uh, the Democrats are starting to wake up. Why they fell asleep, why they got irrational, I have no idea. By the way, Democrats uh, all my life addressed the issue of crime, right? Democrats ran cities, big states. Uh, they were mayors. Crime was always an issue. Uh, but that should be addressed in the state budget. The governor has basically absolute power in the state budget. Uh, and I think uh, everyone uh, gets it now and it should be addressed in the state budget. And then taxes cannot be raised in this state, in my opinion, uh, because of the shopping, because people can go to a cheaper state, which they are now doing. John was talking about the numbers. You can't raise taxes and you can't get cute. Uh, well, I, I didn't raise taxes. I only raised uh, corporate taxes. Uh, I didn't raise taxes. I raised the payroll tax, payroll tax, corporate tax, income tax. They all end in the same last name called tax. Uh, no, uh, no increase of taxes. And then on the migrant issue, uh, you are right. What happened there on the migrant issue is this was a federal problem. This was caused by President Biden. He may have had great intents or great policy, but he opened the border without a plan to deal with the number of people who were going to come in. That is now an established fact. New York City, other cities wind up with tens of thousands of people to handle. It's a cost of about $4 billion to New York City. On top of everything else, on top of the homeless problem, on top of everything else, uh, they are dealt this situation that they have to deal with uh, a large migrant population because they're a quote-unquote sanctuary city. First of all, New York City is a sanctuary city. New York State is a sanctuary state. Where is the state? Where are the legislative leaders? Why is this a New York City problem? Uh, Mayor Adams should consider putting uh, people on the bus and sending them to Albany if he doesn't get the state to respond because this, this is not his problem. Uh, the state has to step up. Uh, every legislator gives the speech. We're a sanctuary state. Good. Now deliver and uh, help New York City with this problem. Uh, I think you should take uh, the population and disperse it across the state. Why is it all in New York City? Um, and help with the cost. And the federal government created the problem. They should pay the bill. Anything on this, John? Yes, I heard it, and uh, I agree 100 uh, percent. I believe in immigration. I was an immigrant. Uh, but uh, when my, uh, my two grandfathers came over in 1913, uh, my father came over in 1949 uh, after World War II, and I was six months old. And, you know, we had a, a thing called Ellis Island where che checks and balances. And that's what immigration is all about. We don't want terrorists. We don't want drug dealers. We don't want people that 
uh, with infections or diseases that are going to make our people sick. So all I'm saying is immigration, yes, we want immigration. We want more immigration. But let's have checks and balances and make sure we're not bringing in terrorists and not bringing in uh, people that we don't want in America. You know, uh, Governor, when I was six years old, I came in six months old. When I was six years old, I went down to immigration, and I swore I pledged allegiance to the United States of America and got my and got my citizenship papers. And we want people like that. We want people that love America and want to work hard for America. Beautiful. Beautiful. We all do. We have a call from Anne, I believe, in the Catskills. Good evening. Good evening, Ann. Um, I have a question regarding um, the budget, because we're currently in budget negotiation season in New York. And it's it's sort of a process question that I'm hoping you can help me work through. So we have the governor's proposed budget at $226 billion, which seems like a lot of money. We have the legislature looking to add an additional $10 billion to the governor's proposed budget. And my question is, at what point does the independently elected state controller intervene and say the receipts will not match up with what you're looking to spend? Because, like, after the fact, after this budget is passed and groups think they're getting funding and programs think they're getting funding, you know, if Tom DiNapoli comes in in October of 2023 and says the kitty is empty, that that's not responsible. I mean, none of us run our houses that way. So at what point does the independently elected controller step into this morass and say, pencils down, you're all crazy? Uh, It's a good question. First, the budget process. uh, You mentioned the budget process. I immediately broke out into a sweat. And uh, having gone through that so many times, uh, the budget process uh, is quite an ordeal. The budget was never done on time, historically, by the way. It was always late, which was a terrible sign of dysfunction. Uh, as governor, I made it a priority to get it done on time, and I set a, a record, something like the first time in 50 years uh, that we had as many budgets done on time. They're supposed to be done by April one. Uh, and the process is the governor puts forth a budget, the assembly puts forth a budget, state senate puts forth a budget, and then they theoretically justify the three. Uh, Here's the good news. In the budget process, the governor has virtual total control. Uh, uh, Republican Governor George Pataki demonstrated that. Democratic Governor uh, David Patterson demonstrated that. I demonstrated that. The Constitution provides for it. Uh, The legislature sued Governor Pataki, lost. The legislature put it on the ballot, tried to convince the people of the state to give them authority, lost. So the governor has uh, virtually total control in the budget. Uh, And uh, a lot of good can be done in this budget. This is where criminal justice reform must be done. Uh, no taxes, a no-tax budget, really no-tax budget, not, you know, uh, no tax here, but a corporate tax, a payroll tax. All of these taxes would be disastrous, uh, in my opinion. So uh, the, the, the 
power now shifts back to the governor. And uh, as far as the controller, the controller doesn't really get involved. Theoretically, the controller has to uh, uh, say at one time that the revenues are enough to pay the expenses. Uh, but I can't recall a time and where that really became a major issue. Basically, uh, he's just a sign-off. I think, John, we have to go to a break. Otherwise, they're making nasty hand gestures at me. Are they yelling at us yet? They're, they're making room? funny hand gestures. Well, don't, why don't we take a break, and then we'll, we'll come back, and we'll have another discussion, and uh, we'll take some more calls and, and see what the temperature is outside. Let's go, let's go to that break. Andrew Cuomo talks about the state of the city, the state of a state, and a nation in crisis. Now, here's Andrew Cuomo on well, 77 back. WABC. And uh, we must have hundreds of listeners trying to get through. Uh, and, uh, uh, Governor, where, which way do you want to go? Which call do you want to take now? We have Bob uh, from Schenectady, and I have been uh, told, John, I have to keep the answer shorter. So I will do it. Short and sweet. Bob, how are you? Uh, great, Governor. Thanks for taking my call. I, I'll be quick, too. I, You know, we're reading about these different investigations into President Trump, and it seems like a lot of them are going very methodically. And then the, the Bragg investigation, which seems like it's coming to fruition, seems like it, it came out of nowhere. I don't understand. Can can you give some context as a former prosecutor? What is he up to? What is what is he going for here? Yeah. Uh, well, Bob, thank you for the question. Uh, I was an assistant district attorney in the Manhattan DA's office. I was attorney general of the state of New York. Uh, first, uh, Donald Trump doesn't help himself when he says uh, death and destruction. If you indict me, I have a baseball bat. I'm going to come. You know, uh, we're our own worst enemy in life. You know why he did any of that? I have no idea. Um, but the uh, indictment was supposed to come this week. It didn't come. Uh, I believe it comes next week. The expression for a prosecutor is you can indict a ham sandwich because the prosecutor controls the entire indictment process. So I'm sure they'll get an indictment. Uh, I don't understand uh, why Bragg is putting such emphasis on this case. Uh, a person breaks the law. I get it. But on the state side, this is a misdemeanor case. It's really a federal case because he needs it to be a campaign finance fraud case, which is a federal case. Uh, and, and that's what Bragg is going to have to do to get a felony out of this. Uh, and also, general caution, you have a cynical public. They don't believe anyone and when you start to see these prosecutors bringing political cases, it just affirms everybody's cynicism. I don't believe any of this. I don't believe uh, a Democratic prosecutor just happens to be attacking a Republican. I don't believe a Republican prosecutor just happens to be attacking a Democrat. I think it's all politics. And I think that's what the people of this country are saying. And it just feeds that anger and that cynicism and the partisanship. It's a coincidence that Bragg goes after Trump and Tish James goes after Trump and Georgia goes after Trump. That's all a coincidence. Uh, and I think it feeds the cynicism. And that's the cancer in our body politic right now. Thank you, Bob. No, I believe the, that the American people have to feel the old-fashioned way to me, the way me and you grew up, uh, Governor, is that all, uh, you know, all, all justice has to be equal for all people. 
and justice. You know, people people have to be blind, whether you're you're uh, black, white, Chinese, or whatever. It's got to be equal justice for all. Yeah, and John, prosecutors are politicians. Let's be honest. They want headlines. They want donations. Uh, they're looking about re-election. They're looking about election to the next office. And when they start to play politics with prosecutions, that's scary. It hurts. It hurts our country. Yes. Amen. Next call. Is the next call from Reverend Cockfield? Oh, Reverend Cockfield, it is. How are I, you, I Governor thought, Cuomo? I thought we promoted you to Archbishop of Albany. <laughs> How are you, John? I am well. I'm, I'm well. Governor I'm well. Cuomo, how are you doing? Oh, so good to hear your voice, Reverend. Thank you for calling. Oh, pleasure. How do you feel about these charter schools? What, are we going to get it done? You think that we can get it done in the budget for historically underrepresented folks? You know, we have, lack, we have less than 10% of charter schools in New York City and New York State. Reverend, uh, you say a prayer, uh, but... Uh, if there's righteousness, we'll get more charter schools. Uh, they're long overdue. They make sense. Charter schools are basic. They are public schools. And you have a lot of areas in this city where you have failing public schools for years and you have failed generations for years. And we just keep repeating the same thing generation after generation. You have some school districts where you failed five, six, seven generations. Try something different. Try a charter school. I support them. The governor says she supports them. If she supports them, they'll be in the budget. Education is a big problem in our country, not just our city. And I think we rank number 58 in the world now in education. And we spend a zillion dollars more than the rest of the countries. And our kids are going to get hurt. And we have to fix the education process. Yeah. Amen. And Reverend, uh, I support the charter schools. I fought for them every year, as you know, because the education system is about the students, right? It's about the students. It's not about funding a bureaucracy. It's about the students. God bless you, Reverend. Good to hear from you. Very good. Thank you, Governor Cuomo. Are you going to run? Are we going to see you back in politics? Are you going to support me? I always support you, Governor Cuomo. <laughs> All right. We'll be talking, Reverend. We'll be talking. All right. God bless you. Bye-bye. Who do we have now? We have Darren from Westchester. Governor, thank you for taking my call. Good evening, Governor. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you, Darren. Thank you for coming. More than a question, I think I have more more of a comment, a quick comment. Um. You know, I've, I've, I've owned businesses in New York for 40 years, and I'm not going to lie to you. I basically have voted a lot Republican, except in your case, of course. And I feel last week I got off an airplane in LaGuardia Airport, and I looked at this thing, and I said, how gorgeous this airport is. And I know that was one of the many, many things you've done. And accomplished, and that airport was a was 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 a disaster prior to the prior to the uh, reconstruction. I also I look at the budget under your tutelage or under your governorship has always come in on time, which has never happened before. And I'm I'm very upset about 
the way things are going in this country. I mean, they talk about immigration. Well, that's because they have no plan. They killed the fuel. They had no plan with that. They really have no plan. We need, a, we need somebody like you. And like everybody else has said, what can we do to help you get, get come back, come back and run for office? I mean, I, whatever I can do, I will be more than happy to do. So, and I, I'm sure there's a lot of people will. Well, Darren, thank you. Thank you very much for taking the time to call in. Thank you for the kind words. Uh, look, I think what we showed together is we can do great things. Getting LaGuardia done was a great thing. Remember, LaGuardia was impossible. It's the first new airport in the United States in 50 years. Uh, We had to operate it and build a new airport at the same time, and it's one of the smallest footprints of any airport in the country. But you can do it. You can do it. And that's what government was all about, by the way, right? Uh, It did great things. And I think uh, we touched that. We did a new LaGuardia Airport, new 2nd Avenue subway in Manhattan, opened up the whole east side, new Moynihan train station, rebuilt the Buffalo Airport, Rochester, Syracuse, Albany Airport. Uh, We did these things. And remember that. Remember what is possible. We talk about all this politics and this back and forth and all uh, all these words. It's about action. Government is supposed to be about action. Uh, and actually changing people's lives. And if government did that, you would see this anger come down on both sides, and people would have more hope and be more reasonable. Focus on getting things done. Uh, uh, that's, that's, that's what we have to get back to, rather than all this theoretical argumentation back and forth that doesn't lead us anywhere. Thank you. What do we have next? We have Tammy from California. Hi, Governor Andrew Cuomo. I'm so glad to have got to hold you. Um, you've joked around from time to time about coming back to elected official uh, uh, position. But if you do, what are you looking at? And if you don't go back, uh, what is your future looking for? Well, I'm not going to run for anything in California, Tammy. That I can tell you for sure, for sure. Uh, and other than that, you know, uh, I'm just keeping my options open. Uh, I was in public service uh, around 12 years as governor, four years as attorney general, eight years as HUD secretary. Uh, I put a big chunk of my life in there, and uh, I've been spending some time doing other things. I realized there were other parts of life. Uh, I've had a great time uh, with my family, with my friends, etc. But, look, I love public service. I think I have a contribution to make. I think I learned a little something about it. So uh, all options open. Uh, and uh, that's enough for now, Tammy. I'm happy. I'm happy doing what I'm doing. And uh, we'll see what the future brings. We have Patricia from Massachusetts. Governor Cuomo, it's a pleasure to um, to hear your voice. Uh, I've been listening to your podcast um about anti-Semitism in this country, and your guest, Walter Meads, stated that Israel is benefiting from more of a cordial relationship with its Middle East neighbors, so it's not them. 
Um, and the Israeli government is now undemocratic, committing apartheid, which is, of course, not true, changing the judicial, and the Palestinians are now victims. Um, these pro-Palestinian activist anti-Israel movement in this country seem to be headquartered in New York City, the clubhouse socialist, the working party, you know, working family party. My concern is, or my question is, who and what do you think the larger global forces who are organizing and financing this pro-Palestinian anti-Israeli movement here or getting these activists elected? Um, as you know, it's all about power and money, and the end game must be to dramatically stop the financial and arms support that the United States sends to Israel. Thank you for your thoughts on this. Yeah, that is a very smart question. I'll, I'll tell you, the anti-Semitism is something that uh, troubles me deeply. I've spent a lot of time on it. I'm going to spend more time on it. Uh, I've been a, uh, as governor of New York, as one of uh, the most ardent supporters for Israel. Anti-Semitism is off the charts. It's exploding in this country and globally. Uh, and there are issues, right? There's the Israel-Palestinian conflict and uh, more and more support for the pro-Palestinian position, especially from the Democratic Party or, or the uh, the extreme of the Democratic Party. Uh, there's then an issue on the uh, judiciary where the prime minister is trying to take power back from the judiciary. And these are legitimate issues and you can have legitimate uh, differences. But my point is, you can have a legitimate difference on the opinion, but it doesn't justify you being anti-Semitic. And that's what we're seeing grow is anti-Semitism. You can disagree with American presidents and American policy. You can disagree with Trump and immigration and putting children in cages. It doesn't justify you being anti-American to individual citizens or calling for the dissolution of America. Uh, we can have policy differences. Uh, they are using it. I think uh, some people are using it as an excuse to justify anti-Semitism. Have your policy difference. There's no excuse for anti-Semitism, and we have to be united on that point as a nation. We have Abby from Manhattan. Hi, Governor. How are you? Great, Abby. How are you? Good. I just wanted to ask you about how you think the mayor is doing um, and what do you think the future of New York looks like and if it's going to make a comeback post-COVID? I think uh, Mayor Eric Adams, is his heart is in the right place. I think he is saying the right things. I think uh, New York is at a difficult point, uh, partially post-COVID. And again, it's not just about the jobs coming back, as we discussed before, Abby. It's I have choices now that I didn't have before. Uh, I can live in Long Island and, and commute in. I can live in the Mid-Hudson. I can move to Florida. Uh, and, you know, people talk about, uh, oh, people all of a sudden moving to Florida. People always move to Florida. You know, John and I remember everybody's grand grandparents lived in Florida. Why? Because you stayed in New York, and then when you retired, you moved to Florida because it was warm, et cetera. Well, the, the, the law says... That if you're over 75 in Florida, you don't have to pay estate taxes. Yes, yes. So you had the taxes and you had the warmth, but that's not a new phenomenon, right? Uh, so New York, COVID, uh, the effect of COVID, the economics of COVID, the taxes, that's why I'm saying Albany better not raise the taxes. And if they had any sense, they would lower them. 
Uh, the mayor is saying the right thing. I believe his heart is in the right place. But New Yorkers want to see results. That's what they want to see. You can't talk your way out of this with New Yorkers. John is smiling. They want to see uh, police on the subways. They want to see the streets clean. They want to see the squeegee men off the streets. They want to see homeless off the streets. They want results. Uh, and there is no substitute for the results. And and that's, I think, what the mayor has to focus on. John? Well, you're absolutely right. Uh, we're going to take one more break right now, and uh, we'll come back, and we'll have more calls, and we'll have more discussion because we need discussion in this uh, world. Let's take that break. Andrew Cuomo talks about the state of the city, the state of the state, and a nation in crisis. Now, here's Andrew Cuomo on 77 WABC. Well, we're back for our last segment, Governor, and um, we're having a good time here. We're discussing the, the problems of our city and our state and, uh, uh, and um, discussion. That's what solves problems, and uh, that's the important thing. And uh, who do we have on the phone now? We, Russ from Manhattan. Russ from Manhattan, yes. Hello, Governor Cuomo. This How are you, Russ? Russ? And very good, thanks. How are you? Very fine, sir. Excellent. Uh, in 19, I should say, in 2014, you told conservative Republicans that they have no place in the state of New York. My question, as a lifelong Republican and New Yorker, do you think people like me and John Katsimatidis should jump on a bus and head down to Florida where we belong? No. 2014, you're testing my memory. Uh, As I mentioned, I had a Republican Senate for many years. Uh, We did a lot of good work together. Uh, And I don't think the issue now is Democrats and Republicans. Uh, I don't even think it's liberals and conservatives. I think it's irrational people on both ends of the spectrum. Unreasonable, irrational people. Uh, who can't distinguish between productive ideas and unproductive ideas, smart ideas and stupid ideas, frankly. Uh, But uh, no, I think at that time I was talking about Russ and and I don't really recall, but I think I was, we were talking about an issue where the conservative Republicans were against my position. uh, And I was saying, um, I believe the majority of New Yorkers support me on this position. Uh, But, uh, of course, uh, this is a this is a diverse state. You know, people talk about New York. They think it's a blue state. We have Democrats, liberal Democrats in New York City. We have the most conservative Republicans in upstate New York. And, Governor, and that's you know what who, makes us great. You know who outnumbers the Republicans now? Independence. Yes. I understand that the Republican Party is like 27 percent. Independents are now 28 percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, Russ, no, do not get on a bus and do not leave New York. We need everybody that's paying taxes. We have Chris, who's next, from the Catskills. Good evening, gentlemen. I'm going to bring up points real quick and hang up here your answer. Uh, Very disappointed Kathy Hochul did not sign the Grieving Families Act into law eight weeks ago. Would you have signed it with enterprise-free zones around SUNY campuses and pilot tax breaks, both having four ratios of tax breaks? causing lost revenues to school districts all over New York relative to the jobs that they're actually creating. Do these programs need to be scrapped or just stronger clawbacks to employers who don't provide the jobs they promised? And with the current state and future state of the Democratic Party, 
We have the emergence of the militant progressives and socialists, both trying to take out moderate and conservative Democrats in primaries through breaking uh, campaign fundraising laws. Uh, where do you see this ending up? Do you see it ending at some point in time or do you see it never ending? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it, it has to end uh, because uh, it, it doesn't work otherwise. If the Democratic Party allows itself to be controlled by irrational thought, uh, it's going to take the party off the cliff. Uh, the, there is a market function even to politics, right? When the Republican Party went too far on the Tea Party, it got pulled back. The same thing is going to happen to the Democratic Party. You saw it uh, in this past election in New York State where uh, if the Democrats uh, were realistic and talked about the real issues like crime, we would not have lost the Congress. You see it in Chicago. So the Democratic Party will correct itself or will lose. Uh, On the tax uh, incentive programs, I don't know them specifically, but – you know, in theory, the it's right. You'd have tax incentive if you're generating jobs. Uh, if you're not or if there's fraud, then they should be eliminated. Well, thank you, Governor Cuomo. We're at the end of the show, and uh, I hope we can do this again real soon. And you know why? You need discussion in our cities. We need discussion in our state and our countries. And when you have discussion, uh, common sense people can and come to common sense solutions. Amen. I agree. Thank you for having me, John, and thank you to WABC. Well, thank you to all our listeners for uh, listening and calling in. Uh, God bless America, and uh, we're going to do this again real soon. And I believe, stay tuned, and we have Bill O'Reilly with a different opinion, a different common sense opinion, coming up at 9 o'clock. I would say he does. Hello, Bill O'Reilly. Hey, 